praying. We sang that song, So Will I, meaning, so will I, I will worship, I will praise my God in heaven. I wonder if we meant that. The God of creation who tells the wind where to go, and we echo behind that, so will I, I will go where God tells the wind to go, I will go where God tells me to go. That God who gave his only son to die as a sacrifice on the cross loved us enough to save us from our sins. And now Jesus says when he entered into Jerusalem those days before he gave his life on the cross that if no one shouted out the glory of God in that moment that the rocks would cry out. And so in that song we talked about how... how, uh, creation cries out to the glory of God, and then we echoed behind that, so will I. I wonder if you will today. Will we cry out and worship our God like creation? Will we cry out and celebrate the God who saved us from our sins like those who came before us? Will we go out as God sends the wind and does exactly as he declares and decrees? Will we also go out when that God sends us out on mission to proclaim the gospel? Do we really mean it when we sing in that song, So Will I? Does anybody in here mean that today? I will go out and proclaim the gospel. I will walk and live a life in obedience to the Lord. I will worship my God. If no one else on this planet proclaims the glory of Jesus, I will proclaim his name. What about you? Anybody in here? Will you yell out, so will I? Anybody? One more time. Okay, I was just making sure that you meant what you were singing. We're going to move now into a time of preaching And we're going to answer one question today. How do ordinary Christians live on mission? That's what we're going to answer. Any of you ever wonder that? We read in the Bible what it says about living on mission. Today we're going to read about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch and how he shared the gospel with him and how he was saved. And we read those stories and sometimes it feels like, well, that's great. Philip was specially called by God, of course, to do something very unique. But how does a regular Christian live on mission. How does a regular Christian live on mission? And that's what we're going to answer today. So I want to invite our kids up. If you're a child or you want to come and be a part of this children's sermon, come on up here to the front. Abijah. Is my, is my, can you guys hear me? Am I on? Really quiet. Maybe Brandon's up there. He's working on it right now. I'm sure it'll be coming in a moment. Look at you guys. Wonderful. Welcome. It's good to see you today. Did you guys ever wonder, how does an everyday Christian live on mission? Do you ever wonder, how, what does God want you to do in your life to tell people about Jesus, to be on mission for him? Anybody, you guys ever wonder that? Anybody? Okay. Well, the good news is we have an answer for that. Do you want to know what the answer is? You do? Okay, I'm going to tell you. You guys 
tell me something that you love about Jesus. Okay, Ameline said, Jesus saved us from our sins, and you love that about him. That's very good. He created us. That's pretty amazing, too. He loves us even when we're broken. Very good. He died to take away our sins. That's right as well. Anybody else? All those are true. Yes, sir. What do you love about Jesus? He saved us from our sins. Very good. He saved us. That's exactly right. He saved us from our sins. Now, all those things that you just told me are things that God wants you to tell your family and your friends and your neighbors. Did you know that? So how does a Christian, an ordinary Christian, live a life on mission? Take those things that you love about Jesus and tell other people about it. That's it. That's the answer to the question. That's it. How does an ordinary Christian live on mission? We tell people about what we love about Jesus and how he changed our lives. Now, y'all don't need to listen to any more of the sermon because everything after this is that's the answer to the question, okay? I'm just kidding. You should listen. But that's the answer to the question. Tell people what you love about Jesus, okay? Very good. Now, the, the word of the day today is mission. So if you want to count how many times I say the word mission today, that's what we're doing. Go back to your seats. Very good. Good job. All right. Everybody else, take out a copy of God's Word with me this morning and open up to Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 25. Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 25. The Scripture's going to be on the wall. We have Bibles in the pew. Open up your phone, your Bible, whatever you got. How do ordinary Christians live on mission? Uh, Professor Tony Morita at Southeastern Seminary preached on this topic, on this text, and that was the question he sought to answer, and I liked that. So I'm using that this morning. How do ordinary Christians live on mission? You tell people about Jesus. That's the answer. You live on mission for him by telling people about him. I, don't, I didn't see if Mr. Glenn came in today, but I'm going to embarrass him this morning. Mr. Glenn's a, a regular attender at our church and someone who loves the Lord, uh, someone who walks in obedience to the Lord. Um, I love when Mr. Glenn comes and tells me his stories because he'll come up to me randomly in the foyer on his way out and he'll say, you know, I was at Winn-Dixie the other day and I was talking with this guy in the, the aisle and I just started telling him about Jesus, and we had this great conversation, and I invited him to church, and, and I'm like, wait, Mr. Glenn, you just told, you told someone about Jesus this week at Winn-Dixie? He goes, yeah. I'm like, that's amazing. That's what ordinary Christians do to live on mission for Jesus. They tell people about Jesus in the grocery store, at work, or at home, or when they're visiting their neighbors. That's what Mr. Glenn does. What I found in my study of the Word of God and the great people in the Word of God is there is one single unifying principle that all great people in the Bible abide in. Do you guys want to know what it is? Yes. Obedience to God. If we want to do something great for the Lord, which I do, and you probably do too, right? You, all of us want to be used by God in tremendous, magnificent ways. It is not a puzzle. It is not something you need to go up to a mountain and live for a month to figure out what God wants from you or how to be used by Him in a mighty way. 
I'm here to tell you today, if you want to be used by God, just obey his calling upon your life and do what he asks you to do. You will be used by him in mighty ways. The great people of God are prepared to hear and obey him. The great people of God are prepared to hear and obey him. In fact, obedience to the Great Commission, fulfilling God's command for us to go out into this world and to tell people about Jesus, is the foundation of the Christian life. But the first thing we need to do is we need to hear the call. We need to hear the call. Ordinary Christians live on mission by hearing God's call on their lives. Look with me first at verse 25, chapter, Acts chapter 8, beginning verse 25. It says, So after they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they traveled back to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. So this is a continuance on the first part of Acts chapter 8. Peter and John went to Samaria because Philip was preaching the gospel among the Samaritans, and the Samaritans were receiving the gospel. And Peter and John are back in Jerusalem, and they're like, wait, 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 wait. The Samaritans are being saved now? We better go check this out. So they go to where Philip is. They see people excited about Jesus and receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior. And they're like, these guys are legitimately saved. God is, in fact, calling the Samaritans to faith in Jesus. They pray over them. They receive the Holy Spirit. They're excited. So Peter and John are now on their way back to Jerusalem. What's interesting is they don't just go straight back to Jerusalem like any good Jew at the time would do. They actually go through Samaritan towns preaching the gospel because they now understand in accordance with what Jesus said in Acts 1.8 that God desires for all people to hear the gospel and to be saved. And so they walk through, they do something kind of scandalous, they go through Samaritan towns preaching the gospel. Verse 26 continues, But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, Get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. So he got up and went. So we're sort of reintroduced here to Philip. Philip is one of the seven earlier in the book of Acts who were set apart by the church to serve the widows. Y'all remember this? And uh, Philip then, uh, being full of the Holy Spirit and given... Uh, unique uh, special powers by God to preach the gospel among the Samaritans and to do signs and wonders to draw people to faith in Jesus. Philip has been doing that in Samaria. So now Peter and John leave and they go back to Jerusalem on their way preaching the gospel. So here's Philip in Samaria. He's in like one of the probably most magnificent, amazing movements of God. This is a revival of people coming to faith in Jesus in Samaria. So Philip's in the middle of this. In the middle of this, God's Spirit comes to Philip and says, I want you to get up, verse 26, and go to the road, the desert road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. So Gaza is um, south of there, south of Jerusalem. Gaza is like the last watering hole before you go on the desert road to get into Egypt. 
And so it's this desert road. It wasn't a real safe place to go, but people traveled there to get from Jerusalem all the way down into Egypt. And so in the middle of this magnificent revival, God's Spirit comes to Philip and tells him, all right, I want you to leave this place with all this magnificent stuff happening, a place, no doubt, where Philip had much respect and love from the Samaritan people. And I want you to go down to this desert road. This road that, that is dangerous and probably doesn't have a whole lot of people on it all the time. I want you to go down there. The most important part, or one of the most important parts of this text, is found in verse 27. Look at verse 27. How did Philip respond to God's call to go down to the road in the desert. Look at it. So he got up and went. If you want to know how to be used by God in magnificent ways, that's how you do it. He didn't argue with God. He didn't delay once he knew what God wanted him to do. What did he do? He got up and he went. It probably even felt contrary to Philip. So you want me to leave this? All these people are so excited about the Lord and, and people are being saved and, and they're full of the Holy Spirit and, and amazing things are happening. People are being healed. Signs and wonders are happening. And now you want me to get up and go down to this desert road. But he does. The fact of the matter is that no matter what happened after that moment, Philip was victorious in the eyes of God because he obeyed what God called him to do. Now later he's going to go there and we're going to study and talk about how he followed God's leading and led the Ethiopian eunuch to faith in Jesus. But whether or not that Ethiopian eunuch received Christ, Philip is victorious. Why? Because Philip obeyed the Lord's call upon his life. He got up and went. You see, church, you see, the great people of God have a tendency to do the simple things in obedience to God's call upon their life. Taking simple steps. Well, what does that have to do with us? As Jesus followers, we give God glory and receive eternal rewards when we're obedient to his commands upon our lives. When we do what he's asked us to do. Now, there's a big, broad, general command upon all of us that's described in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. That's known by many of you and and I as the Great Commission. It says this, Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am always with you, even to the end of the age. So we have a broad calling upon the life of all believers to engage in this mission of God, which is to go out and to tell people about Jesus, making disciples, so leading them to faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, and then teaching them the Word of God so they can walk in obedience to Him. The people with whom we share the gospel, however, is a unique calling from the Lord upon your life. God's Holy Spirit will lead you to the people who need to hear the gospel. And he'll use you in mighty ways as you proclaim the word of God to them and share the gospel to draw them to faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. 
Now, you might say, I'm no preacher, right? I'm just an ordinary person. I've not been called in the ministry. That's really the preacher's job. That's your job, preacher. That's wrong. When you turned away from your sin and trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior, you became a part of the kingdom of God and God's mission. You were enrolled in the army of God to do one particularly important thing, to tell people about Jesus. There are actually people in your life, friends, family, co-workers, neighbors, that you are uniquely qualified to tell about Jesus. If I showed up at their house and knocked at their door, many of those people may not even answer the door. And if they did, they may talk to me for about 10 seconds and walk away and close the door. But if you came to their house, if you met them on the fishing boat or at the beach or at work or over a meal at your house, you, you are uniquely qualified and gifted by God to tell the gospel to them in a way that I never could. Now you might say, I've never heard the Holy Spirit tell me to share the gospel with someone. Maybe you're in that boat. This is what I know about the way that God works based on what Scripture says. I know that God desires for lost people to be saved. I know that God loves you and that God loves your family and your neighbors and your coworkers. I know that God desires for them to hear the gospel. And I know that God wants you and I to do that. So if we know all these things, and we know the Word of God is always true and right and correct, and we know that our God would never lie, that tells me that there's a way for us an open door for us to share the gospel. And that door is opened by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so what I want to challenge you to do, something I've challenged you all before and something I've been saying for years and I always found success in this is for you to begin praying for opportunities to share the gospel. And this is what's going to happen, so just get ready. You're going to, in your time, your quiet time with the Lord, your time of prayer, you're going to ask God, God, the preacher told me today that you want me to share the gospel. I'm a little nervous about that. I don't think that I can do that, but I'm willing to make myself available if you would show me someone that I can talk to. You know what God's going to do when you ask him to do that? He's going to show you someone to talk to. I guarantee it. I've said this for years and never had anybody come back to me and say, Preacher, you know, I prayed for the Holy Spirit to show me someone I could share the gospel with. I prayed and I prayed for weeks and it never happened. No one's ever said that to me. You know that? I promise you that if you make yourself available to be used by God to tell people about Jesus, you will begin to see the opportunities to tell people about Jesus because God desires for them to hear the gospel and he desires for you to tell them about Jesus. You may find yourself like Philip, eventually perfectly positioned to share 
once you've prepared yourself to hear the call to evangelize. The question is, the question that weighs on my heart and on the hearts of many of you, I'm sure, is all of these, these people that don't know Jesus, my friends, my family, my neighbors, in fact, almost 75% of the people that live in Monroe County do not have a relationship with Jesus. That's most of the people that you run into every day. Do not know Jesus. Don't have the joy that you have. Have not experienced the salvation that he offers. How will they ever hear if we don't tell them? Are they going to hear it on the news? Are they going to hear it at the grocery store? Are they going to hear it at work? Among their family? Probably not. They will hear when you open up your mouth and share the joy of Jesus to them. Let's continue on. And what we see second is that ordinary Christians live on mission by telling people about Jesus. Ordinary Christians live on mission by telling people about Jesus. It can be, in in the beginning, as simple as what those kids said up here during our children's sermon. Literally just telling someone on the phone, at work, in your neighborhood, you know, Jesus changed my life. Simple as that. God's so good to me. Or even a question, what do you think about Jesus? Look at verse, verse 27. We're going to see Philip doing this with his life. Verse 27 continues. It says, There was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch and high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem. So we're introduced to this Ethiopian man. He had come to Jerusalem to worship God. He was like, I believe, a man named Cornelius that we'll talk about later in the book of Acts, who's a God-fearer but does not yet know about Jesus. So he comes to Jerusalem to worship God. Now, because of his physical state as a eunuch, according to the book of Deuteronomy, he's not going to be allowed to go in and actually worship God um, as a, as a God-fearer. He's only going to be able to participate by watching that. But God knows his heart. God knows that he desires to walk with him. And so he sends Philip to this Ethiopian eunuch. Verse 28 continues. And he was sitting in his chariot on his way home, back to Ethiopia, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. The spirit told Philip, go join the chariot. So up to this point, God calls Philip to go to this desert road. Does God tell Philip why he's going to the desert road? No. It just says, get up, go down to that road. And then the Bible says, Philip got up and went to the road. He didn't argue, he didn't ask, why am I going, what am I going to do there? I would have asked all those questions, right? God, why are you sending me way down here? There's stuff going on right here. But that's not what Philip did. Philip heard God, and then he did it. And so Philip's there on the desert road, sort of waiting for his next command. Then there's this Ethiopian eunuch. So picture this. It's going to give us a beautiful illustration of how the Holy Spirit works. Because simultaneously, God is doing a work in Philip's life and in the life of the Ethiopian eunuch. Philip's obeying God. He's down, finds himself positioned to be used by God because he was obedient to go to the desert road. Meanwhile, there's this Ethiopian eunuch eunuch who's a God-fearer who went to Jerusalem 
to be a part of worship there and is now leaving on this chariot, somehow he gets a hold of the Old Testament scroll of Isaiah. Now listen, back then you didn't just like walk into a store and buy a Bible like you can today. For this man to have a copy of the book of Isaiah was a really big deal. It would have been very expensive and even very hard for him as a non-Jew to get a copy of it. Somehow, by God's sovereignty, he's got a copy of the book of Isaiah. And he's got it open and he's reading it. Now God's Spirit intervenes again. And says, go join that chariot. The Ethiopian eunuch at this point, which we'll learn in a moment, is reading from Isaiah chapter 53. Which is a text about the Messiah who would one day come and die and take away the sins of the world. From the eunuch's perspective, this text offered great promise for the future. This passage speaks about a man who would one day come and be pierced for the sins of the world and receive God's wrath on our behalf. So the Holy Spirit commands Philip to get up and to go to the chariot. Verse 30 continues, When Philip ran up to it, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone guides me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. You know, the text doesn't say that the chariot stopped moving. And this guy is going to be moving along in this tremendous entourage. He was very, very important. So he would have had many people with him. They're moving along the road. There's Philip on the side of the road. And God says, go join the chariot. I believe that Philip would have had to run up to that chariot to talk to this man in the chariot. Right? So here's Philip jogging alongside the chariot. Do you know what, what you're reading? Do you understand that? He looks down. How can I? No one no one told me. No one's explaining it to me. So he invites him to get up in the chariot and to join him. It's interesting. Philip, as a Christian living on mission, is always ready to share the gospel. He's always in a state of readiness. So Philip gets up and joins him up in his chariot to share with him about Jesus. And he begins the conversation with a well-placed question. Do you understand what you're reading? Let me tell you, if you want to engage in a spiritual conversation with someone, just ask them first what they think. Don't we live in a culture? Do we live in a culture that's short of people willing to tell you what they think? Do y'all like to tell people what you think? Yeah, I mean, I could ask you, what do you think about this? And 20 minutes later, I'll know what you think about it. And then some. And that's our culture that we live in. People, we're just a people who are ready to tell you what we think. So let me just challenge you in their conversations. Go ask somebody what they think about Jesus. And you know what? They're going to tell you what they think about Jesus. And that's the open door. In fact, try reading through one of the Gospels and see how Jesus engaged people in his teaching. Because how did he do it? With questions. Now, he did do a lot of teaching and declaring, but most of those opportunities began by him asking questions. And oftentimes, people often came to him and asked him a question, then what did he do? He asked him a question right back. And so Philip does the same thing here with this Ethiopian man. Do you understand what you're, you're reading? 
And his answer, how, how could I understand without someone teaching me? What we see here, church, is the Holy Spirit orchestrating a divine encounter. And you know what? He desires to do the same thing with you. He desires for you to have a divine encounter with someone so you can climb up into the chariot with them and teach them about Jesus. The first question is, have we made ourselves available to hear his call to go to the desert road? Have we made ourselves available to hear his call to go and to have a conversation with that family member or coworker or neighbor? I fear that we're too busy and too focused on other things to hear that gentle, soft call of the Holy Spirit when he beckons us to go speak with someone. How could this man understand the true meaning of Isaiah 53, this messianic prophecy about Jesus, unless someone would come into his life and tell him what it's about and, and who came and fulfilled it? The Bible doesn't tell us that Philip knew why he was on the desert road. It just tells us that he went there because God commanded him to do so. Before Philip ever even made it there, the Holy Spirit was already at work in the heart and the life of that Ethiopian eunuch. He had already begun reading Isaiah 53. He had already been to Jerusalem. He already had questions in his heart about God. He was already seeking. Think about this, church. The Holy Spirit is already working in the hearts of your friends and your family and your coworkers and your neighbors. We're gravely mistaken when we think that when we go into their life and start talking to them about Jesus, that this is the first time that they've thought about it. Or when we assume that God's not already doing a work or had maybe sent someone else into their life before you got there. God is right now working in the hearts and the lives of the people that you love. He's already drawing them. He's already preparing them for someone to come into their life and tell them about Jesus. But how will they know Jesus unless someone tells them? How will they know the gospel unless they hear it from someone like you? I want to do something kind of strange right now. I just want everybody to close your eyes, if you would, please. Just close your eyes just for, just for a moment. And think of that person. Close your eyes and think of that person. Ask God to reveal that person to you that needs to hear the gospel. Is that a friend or a neighbor or coworkers or someone in your heart right now that doesn't know Jesus? So open your eyes. Many of you probably had the image of someone come to mind. That's the first step in being available to hear the call. Being prepared to hear from the Holy Spirit, that person that needs to hear the gospel. The question is, are we prepared to follow the Holy Spirit's direction to tell them about Jesus? Are we prepared to run alongside them on the desert road while we share the gospel with them? Are we prepared to walk with them 
and the good times and the bad times. How will they hear unless someone tells them? How will they understand unless we provide clarity in sharing the gospel? The next question a lot of people have in living the life, the Christian life on mission, is how do I convince them or persuade them? I've had that conversation with a lot of you in the recent past. I, you're sharing with me. I was just someone, you know, I've been sharing with and praying for, and they just don't really seem interested right now. And my answer to that question is always the same. Our job is to share the gospel, to tell them about Jesus. And we do that with passion and love. We want to persuade them because Jesus is the very best thing that ever happened to you, right? It's not your job to save them. It's not your job to lead them to faith in Jesus. It's your job to tell them about Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit's job to lead them to faith in Him. That's incredibly freeing. Ordinary Christians live on mission by trusting in the Holy Spirit with the results. We do our best to share the gospel. We trust in the Holy Spirit to do the work, what I call the heavy lifting. Verse 32 continues, it says, now the scripture passage he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation? For his life was taken from the earth. This is a text that was written hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born about Jesus, the Messiah, who would one day come and give his life as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. This so happens to be the text that the Ethiopian eunuch is reading at the same moment that Philip is standing beside his chariot. Ooh, that's some kind of coincidence, right? Or maybe God was at work. Maybe the Holy Spirit had some kind of grand design and plan for this man to be reading the Word of God and then to hear a proper interpretation of it so that he could hear the gospel and be saved. The Ethiopian eunuch starts to ask questions because he has a heart that's seeking. And you know what God promises to the seeking heart? That you'll find him. Verse 34 says, The eunuch said to Philip, Philip's now up in the chariot with him, I ask you, who is the prophet saying this about, himself or someone else? Verse 35 says, Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus beginning with that scripture. So the eunuch is seeking and he has questions. He said, what's this text about? Who, who is written about in here? And this is like a platter, a silver platter for Philip to share the gospel, right? Let me just tell you quick, I gotta hurt. this story is hilarious, I have to tell it to you. So, one time I was out uh, praying that God would give me opportunity to share the gospel, and um, sometimes in my lack of faith, I pray for opportunities, and then when they come, I'm surprised. Have you all ever had that? Like, you prayed for it, and then it happens, and you're like, oh, I didn't actually think that someone would want to hear the gospel. And so I was out that day and kind of set out for the day praying for opportunities to share the gospel. And I didn't have any people in mind, just I was going out. And um, I found myself out um, in a coffee shop, and um, God brought someone to me, because he always does when you ask him for opportunities like that. And a person came, and we were chatting, and I said, you know, I just feel like 
you know, with things going on in your life, I really want to just share something with you because I'm a Christian and I follow Jesus. Could I tell you about Jesus and what he means to me? And I was expecting this guy to say, oh, I'm not really interested, I appreciate it, and to walk away. You know what he said? I would love to hear about Jesus. I've been thinking about him, and I had someone tell me a while back about Jesus, but I never really had a chance to hear about it, so I would love for you to tell me about Jesus. And I was like a deer in headlights. I'm like, okay, all right, well, I'm not really sure what to do now. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't know what to do. And so I shared the gospel with him and told him about Jesus and gave him some next steps. And I wasn't, I wasn't in my town, so I gave him a, a church to go to. And man, he was so on fire for the Lord. But the Holy Spirit had been working in his heart for months before I came and shared the gospel with him. And he will do the same thing, and he does do the same thing in the lives of the people that you're praying for. And so Philip takes advantage of this. Verse 36 continues. It says, As they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, Look, there's water. What could keep me from being baptized? So the, the, the Ethiopian eunuch heard the gospel from Philip, believed it, so he turned from his sin, trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Verse 38, He ordered the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him any longer, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip appeared in Azotus, and he was traveling and preaching the gospel in all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So Philip shares the gospel, and as we see the pattern in the New Testament, Philip shares the gospel, the Ethiopian eunuch repents of his sin, trusts in Jesus as Lord and Savior, follows through in believer's baptism by immersion. And uh, what's interesting, I mean, that obviously is miraculous and amazing, right? And gives us a beautiful model for believing and following through baptism. But don't miss this, okay? I don't want you to read over this without recognizing what happened. Look at verse 39. The Holy Spirit carried Philip away, and the eunuch didn't see him anymore. All right, so how would you feel... If this guy runs up to your chariot, tells you about Jesus, you get saved, he baptizes you, shortly after that he disappears. That word, the words they use there to describe that doesn't mean that Philip like walked away or ran away or you know, was transported away you know, via like another chariot. Philip disappeared, like right in front of him. This Ethiopian eunuch, he's just like celebrating goes on his way, rejoicing. Then Philip, look, appears in another city and continues to share the gospel. I just didn't want you to read over that without recognizing the miraculous nature of what God is doing. God is still doing that stuff today. God is still saving people today. God is still healing people today. God is still at work growing his kingdom today. And we're Philip in this story. We are ordinary Christians called by God to live on mission so people can hear about Jesus and be saved. This is part of the final fulfillment of Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Shortly before Jesus ascended to be at the right hand of the Father, he gives his disciples like one more command 
He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So they had already witnessed and shared the gospel in Jerusalem, and people were saved by the thousands. Philip now has gone to Samaria, and people heard the gospel, and they've been saved. Through that, part, that process of the dispersion that we found in Acts chapter 7 and first part of verse 8, uh, chapter 8, people were sharing the gospel in Judea, which is the immediate area surrounding Jerusalem. Now Philip shares the gospel with this Ethiopian eunuch who's on his way back to Ethiopia. And at this time, many of the Romans referred to Ethiopia, listen, as the end of the earth. And they're fulfilling Acts chapter 1, verse 8. I've heard people call Key West the end of the earth, have you? Sometimes we feel like we are. But people that live even in northern Florida are like, whoa, you're way down there. I feel comfortable saying that we're that part of that text in Acts 1-8. We are the end of the earth. We're the ones God, have, God has called down here at the end of the United States to share the gospel. And God desires for people to be saved. And he's going to save people. And he's called us to be a part of that mission. And as everyday Christians, we can be a part of God's mission. But we've got to go out and we've got to tell them about Jesus. Everyday Christians live on mission for God by hearing the call, by sharing the gospel, and by trusting the Holy Spirit with the results. I want to show you guys how this works and how it's worked here in this church. You all have done a tremendous job, we have in this church, but you all who were here before I got here, at being a light in this community. Really, really great job. What a great testimony in Key West this church is for our love for Jesus, but also in raising people up to serve him. We have two young men that you raised up that are either pastors or working toward the pastorate. Did you know that? We got Brandon over here. I don't see him. Oh, he's up in the, maybe up in the sound booth now. Oh, he's coming in. There he is. Okay. Brandon Rodriguez, that's Christine and Oscar's son. DJ Parker, Alice's son. Both of those young men were raised in this church. Any of y'all changed their diapers? Anybody in here? <laughs> it's funny. They were born and raised here. Some of y'all probably taught their Sunday school. You had them in children's ministry or youth group. You watched them grow from babies up to being adults. You poured into them. You took care of them. You loved them. You taught them about following the Lord. Some of you probably disciplined them. And now God's used them in mighty ways. Young men who are preaching and proclaiming the gospel. That happened in this church. God uses ordinary Christians to do magnificent things. He used you to raise up these men and others that we've sent out all over the world to proclaim the gospel. Who knows who exists here in this church, in the keys, that God's going to use in a mighty way. And he may, in fact, want you to be the one that leads him to faith in Christ. Folks, we're ordinary Christians, but God uses ordinary Christians to do magnificent things. And he desires to use you as well. So the question is, during this time of invitation, I want to hear from you 
if God's called you to do something unique. In a minute, everybody's going to stand up and invite your team up. You guys can call on up. And we're going to sing a song together. I'm going to give you a chance to respond to whatever the Holy Spirit's doing in your heart. Maybe you need to be saved. Maybe today you came in here and for the first time you heard the gospel. Maybe you heard it a hundred times before with your ears, but today you heard it with your heart. Maybe you want to come forward so we can pray with you and show you the way to Jesus. Maybe you need to join this church, follow through with believers' baptism. Or maybe there's someone on your heart today and you just want to commit that person to the Lord. You can come up and pray. Ask the Lord to open up door of opportunity for you to share the gospel. Whatever it is that God's called you to do, this is a, a moment of decision for you, an opportunity for you to respond to what God's called you to do. I want to invite everybody to stand now, if you would, please. Heavenly Father, I pray over this, this time, this moment of decision. The word's been proclaimed, and I know that your Holy Spirit is working in the hearts of us, your church. Give us the faith, give us the boldness to take that step forward, whether it's to be saved or baptized or to join the church, or just maybe to come up to this altar and just lay a person at your feet and ask you to open up an opportunity for us to share the gospel with them. We are, God, ordinary Christians, but you use ordinary Christians to do magnificent things. Help us to take this step of obedience to trust in you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.